0: Welcome to the Popcorn Talk Network. For the online broadcast network that features movie discussion, news, and interviews, press 1. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. From the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network for movie talk, Alicia Malone with Scott movie Mance and the Schmoes know, this
1: is Profiles, in-depth spotlights on the greatest filmmakers and artists in motion picture history. Hello, Profilers. Profilers. Welcome to episode... Forty nine. What? Forty nine, Miss Malone. That's almost
2: a year. Forty nine. It was a, one a week.
1: <laughs> it's a year and a half that we've been doing the show. Wow. Started in August eleventh, and here it is, the March. I am episode forty nine. A director that you know when we were like talking about doing this guy. Like a lot of people were like, you know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't love his movies, and other people are like, I love his movies, and that just made me want to do him more.
2: Yeah, me too.
1: Terrence Malick. (laughs) Yeah. What is the word that comes to your mind? The first word that comes to your mind for Terrence Malick?
2: Divisive. Divisive.
1: (laughs) Polarizing.
2: Polarizing. Poetic. Experimental.
1: Uh, uh, in a class all by himself.
2: Unique.
1: Very, very unique. This is a filmmaker. Seven feature films. Uh, an eighth one he already finished. that has not opened yet. But uh, seven feature films, including his current movie, uh, Night of Cups. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a very special guest in tonight's show that we interviewed. We sat what? down with... Christian Bale, oh, there you go. who is in Night of Cups and he was also in The New World. And to sit down with Christian Bale and interview him on camera for our show profiles yes. was awesome. It was
2: so good, and he was very intrigued by our show and the concept behind it. So you'll see him asking us all sorts of questions about profiles as well.
1: Half the interview was him talking to us.
2: <laughs> I, know. I wanted
1: to know what's the profile show like? Who, who do You're you do? like? We'll
2: send it to you. But the point <laughs> is, so nice. is
1: that Christian Bale. Knows about Profiles.
2: He knows about Profiles and he knows about Terrence Malick and he's someone who obviously loves working with Terrence Malick. I am someone who's definitely firmly on the pro-Terrence Malick camp, as are you. Mm -hmm. It's our jam and and we never mind a bit of experimental cinema. A lot of people don't like him. A lot of people think that he's quite pretentious or his movies have lost their way. They've become more and more experimental as they've gone on. But I think he has actually found his groove as he goes on. And uh, I really, relate to them all. Um, I love just watching the images, like having them wash over me and having an experience unlike any other at the theater.
1: Now, what was it like going back and re-watching these movies? Were there any that you liked more after watching it again? Or yeah. maybe some that you like go, oh, you know, I don't like it as much as I did when I first saw it.
2: Yeah, I think Tree of Life is one that I like more every time I see it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, also The New World.
1: Uh, the New World, I got to tell you, the New World, from going back and rewatching the five movies on our Fast Five, all of them benefited from repeated viewings. Yeah. And the New World is the one that really jumped big time for me. I I liked it a lot when I first saw it in 2005, and Mm -hmm. I had seen it a couple of times, but that was definitely the movie that I just went, wow, this is really an exquisite, beautiful film.
2: That's the thing. His movies, I think, need to be seen a couple of times. It it seems like the trend with all his movies, that when they come out, they're They're not necessarily yeah, welcome to very mixed reviews. And then after a few years, people are saying, masterpiece.
1: And then it's it's also, uh, if there's any filmmaker that you really just have to surrender yourself over to his movies. Yeah. It's Terrence Malick. The
2: dream-like narration and the images and the man versus nature. And you really, themes. you really get
1: like caught up yeah. in them. It really casts a spell over you, and that definitely uh, was like the, with, like that with uh, the New World. And also, I gotta say, the Thin Red Line, which I always loved. Mm-hmm. Like I was a, I was an emotional wreck watching this movie again. <laughs> yeah. It just really, really, really hit me. And, you know, Terrence Malick, another word that you could use to describe him is reclusive, yeah. uh, private, enigmatic, and he does not give interviews. The last time he gave an actual press interview was 1979, but someone caught him back in 2005 during the making of The New World, and he said about this film, which would apply to all of his movies if you think about it, he says, I knew it would have a slow rolling pace, Just get into it. It's more of an experience. Uh, I leave it to you to fend for yourself, figure things out for yourself. And that's the case with all of his movies.
2: Yeah, and I think they are so open. You don't have to, you can read as much into them as you like, or you can just let them wash over you. Or you can look at them very generally and then you can find something that you relate to no matter what.
1: Well, definitely. Uh, how did you cut this wonderful life without like not really knowing much about him to begin with?
2: Yeah, there's not many photos <laughs> that exist of Terrence Malick. Definitely no photos of him as a kid.
1: Right. So
2: um, yeah, this wonderful life in terms of the editing isn't that exciting, but in terms of the content, of course it is. So let's have a look at Terence Malick's wonderful life. Terrence
1: Frederick Malick was born on November 30, 1943 in Ottawa, Illinois. Malick's first brush with film came in 1969 when he directed the 17-minute short film Leighton Mills and earned his Master's of Fine Arts at the American Film Institute Conservatory. After writing the screenplays for 1972's Pocket Money and 1973's Deadhead Miles, Malik made his featured directorial debut with 1973's Badlands, which is widely hailed as one of the greatest directorial debuts since Citizen Kane. You could say it's the Citizen Kane of directorial debuts. <laughs> Badlands was the wow. first of seven features that Malik directed over the last 43 years, <laughs> including his latest release, Night of Cups. He won the Palme d'Or twice, first for 1978's Days of Heaven, and again for 2011's The Tree of Life, and he was nominated for three Academy Awards.
2: Do you like that, Pip-Boss, wow. throwing that in
1: there? <laughs> that that has to be the Citizen Kane of voiceovers. Oh
2: my gosh. <laughs> Way to go,
1: Ken. Thanks, Pip-Boss. I know,
2: so funny. He just put that in himself. I love Couldn't it. help himself, right? <laughs> no. He,
1: well, what is your first blood? What was the first Terrence Malick movie that you ever saw?
2: The first one was Badlands. Oh, really? And you saw I, Badlands? Yeah, I feel like I say this over and over again in profiles, but I went through that time when I was a teenager where I used to go and just rent a bunch of videos at the video store, and so I would try a range of things. Uh-huh. So I got out Badlands and I loved it and it's still my favorite, personal favorite Malik movie and we will get into more why later on but basically I think I could relate to it because of the way that uh, Sissy Spacex character sees the world almost like a movie, mm-hmm. like not real mm-hmm. um, and because I was so escapist with the movies I watched I think I could relate to it in that way plus the 50s. I mean, I romanticized that decade. And yeah. It was definitely about that romantic 50s Americana with, like, bad boy edge. And well, it
1: definitely inspired a lot. We'll definitely get into all that. My first blood was The Thin Red Line, yes. which I saw in theaters in uh, on Christmas Day in 1998. And, you know, we'll get into all this as well. But The Thin Red Line is a movie that came out and it was unfairly compared to Saving Private Ryan, another World War II movie that mm-hmm. came out, like, five months earlier. And after at the time, yes, I did like Saving Private Ryan more. It's more straightforward. You know, there's not a it's not a subtle film, whereas The Thin Red Line most definitely is, and yeah. that's why uh, over the years, especially when I caught it on cable, I would keep it on. And that's really where I fell in love with it. And, and now I really feel like between the two movies, The Thin Red Line is the better film.
2: I think so, too. We'll
1: get into that. We'll get into
2: that. Also, just want to give a shout out to JTE, who is watching oh. YouTube Live. And he says that he misses engineering profiles. Oh
1: uh, Well, we miss you big time, JTE, buddy boy. Yeah. Yay, we Thanks love Thanks for watching.
2: And everyone who's watching right now, Billy Pollahan and Dan Allen, Mark Tordai, all the usual, Joshua Price. Thank you so much to all our profilers who watch even the weird episodes.
1: We like <laughs> love our profilers. They've been with us through thick and thin. Through instantly accessible people like George Clooney <laughs> and polarizing figures like Terrence Malick.
2: Love it. So should we get into our fast five? Let's do it. At number five is... Come on,
0: hit me. Hit me. Come on,
2: son hit.
1: Give me some. Show me what you got.
2: Tree of Life.
1: The Tree of Life.
2: There wasn't that many audio clips to from. <laughs> this was a tough episode to do, right? movies, yeah. <laughs> this was, was a lot tough. Of music. <laughs> uh,
1: this one came out on May 27, 2011. Cost $32 million. Total box office was $54 million worldwide. Three Oscar nominations, including directing, best picture, and cinematography for Emmanuel Lebeski. Oh, Chivo. Incredible. Incredible. Just won his third straight Oscar. This movie also won the top prize, the Palme d'Or, at the Cannes Film Festival, mm-hmm. and when awarding the prize, uh, the jury member Robert De Niro said, quote, it had the size, the importance, the scope, the intention, whatever you want to call it, that fit the prize.
2: Yeah, well, it's funny because when it first screened in Cannes, half of the audience booed half of the audience cheered and that sums up the way I feel about tree of life when I first saw it I wasn't sure about it just because of the mixture between the flashback memories which I liked about the family and then the whole section about the birth of mankind and humanity and the earth in general the big bang there's dinosaurs but now more and more when I re-watch it just those scenes are so beautiful that I just watch them in awe with the music and almost see it like two separate films or like an intermission in between
1: I, I thought you were going to say like you'd see it like 2001. Exactly. A Space Odyssey because of Douglas, effects, Trumbull. Yeah. Douglas Trumbull. Douglas Trumbull was the first movie he did visual effects on since Blade Runner, mm-hmm. which came out in 1982. So that's a big gap. But uh, this is a film that, if you want to wrap your head around it, is the... Uh, the birth and death of human existence. Yeah. And, you know, when you see it a few times and you try to say, what was he trying to say here? And, like, there's that scene when you see the dinosaur is going to step on the other one's head and mm-hmm. he, he decides not to. Yep. And it's like, oh, okay, he had a moment of consciousness. And right when that happened, the asteroid, the meteor hit the earth, wiping out. Wiping out the dinosaurs, yep. the fragility of life on a universal scale.
2: Nature. He's and, always exploring nature and grace. And, and mankind. also, yeah.
1: And also on a, on a personal scale, when you know Brad Pitt finds out that his son died, and he finds out over, over the phone, and I just assumed that it was Vietnam. Because mm-hmm. they never actually said how the how the kid died, how the you know Sean Penn's brother died, but the it, it's just, it is an exquisite, beautiful film. It's epic and ambitious in its scope, um, and it's it's just a film that. Yeah, I remember when it came out, people were like, "I hate this movie." Oh, and here's a funny story. So I had seen the film, and then my folks from Philadelphia came out to LA. It was Memorial Weekend, so I took them to see The Tree of Life. Yeah. So you know, my mom fell asleep, and <laughs> so we went out to dinner afterwards at All Fine. Yeah. And uh, so we sit down, and, you know, we get drinks, and my dad, who's you know a pretty conservative guy, he says, "Okay, what the f was that about?" <laughs> <laughs> my dad, I was like, "Dad, whoa!" <laughs> it was kind of I love shocking. That. Well, but
2: for, for his sixth feature film. I mean, it's It's so big, like you said, huge in scope, but I love the way it shows memories. I think this is probably one of the best movies ever seen to capture what it feels like being a child and growing up Mm. where you hear snippets of conversation, you're trying to put together what happened to yourself, you remember things out of order, you remember bits and pieces, you maybe remember people not exactly how they were, like Brad Pitt's character is very harsh, Jessica Chastain's mother is very childlike and sort of whimsical Um, and so I think I loved the way that it shows memories but it's so interesting how Sean Penn, you know, he was talking about afterwards making the movie because it's very different the way it was scripted and, um, and I wrote down over here one of his quotes that he said. He said, The screenplay was the most magnificent one that I'd ever read, but I couldn't find that same emotion on screen. A clearer and more conventional narrative would have helped the film without, in my opinion, lessening its beauty and its impact. Wow. But then many other critics including Roger Ebert said that The Tree of Life is a film of vast ambition and deep humility attempting no less than to encompass all of existence and view it through the prism of a few lives. The only other film I've seen with this boldness is 2001: A Space Odyssey. And It
1: definitely has with the classical music and the visual effects and everything. And Kevin Shaw, I don't think we've read a comment from this profile before. Okay. Says Hi, while fully aware of the fact that this movie divides many, I'm one of the few people who really does Love the Tree of Life. Terrence Mail crafted such a beautiful and surreal portrayal of American suburbia. Brad Pitt as the father was fantastic, and this was my first introduction to Jessica Chastain. Yeah,
2: I mean, I, it was the first one that I really remembered her. Yep, uh-huh. I was like, who's that?
1: Yeah, who was that? And lucky <laughs> her that she's making a movie with Brad Pitt and Terrence Mayo. Uh, my appreciation for this movie is largely credited to the fact that it turned me on to art house cinema. I love that. Since seeing this movie, I now love to go to my local art house theater and support the unique, independent and art films that are being screened. Yes. Hooray! Needless to say, The Tree of Life was a big reason why I'm now a hashtag film geek.
2: Yes. Wow. Love it. Love I that. love that. Awesome. And Gosh, the cinematography in this movie, the special effects, everything. It's just so beautiful. It really is. So I think people should give it another go. Absolutely give
1: like. it another go. But you might
2: not like it still.
1: But, you know, if you're listening or you're watching any one of these films, if you didn't like them, give it another try. If you mm-hmm. never saw them, just... This is your chance. We want to introduce you to the beauty of Terrence Meal. I think more than any other person we've ever profiled, this is the one where people say, hey, I never saw this film or I never saw Tree of Life, but I watched it because of profiles and I loved it. Yeah, that's great.
2: Or I didn't like it. But hey,
1: that's cool. You gave it a try.
2: Yeah, I love that. So there was obviously lots of great scenes that he's directed. (laughs) What would be your favorite scene, your right stuff?
1: Uh, I would say I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the scene that struck me the first time I saw it versus one that sort of grew on me because yes. then I definitely have a lot to choose from. When I first saw The New World mm-hmm. and the opening scene, when Wagner's music is playing and it's the prelude to uh, Rheingold, and the music is swelling, and the Native Americans are seeing the tall ships for the first time mm. and they are in awe. And they're all excited, and they're all like ducking behind the trees and the bushes and like, oh my God, look, wow, wow. And the, the ships are just sailing. You know, this is Jamestown, Virginia, and they're just sailing up the river. And, you know, when you know what's going to happen, to the Native Americans, yeah. it's the beginning of the end for them yeah, because it's sad. ultimately a tragic film. And But that scene, like whenever, when I went back and saw it again, just the music, just the way it swelled and built up mm. and built up. And it just really like, you know, really captured the, the sense music. of all the mean, music. Yeah. Terrence
2: Malick is so great with music and yep. all the scores that he chooses. I'm gonna go with from Days of Heaven, the Locust sequence. Yeah, I love both the way it looks on screen and then the way it was shot. So it's the one where the big swarm of locusts come go out. Extraordinary. Go out from that. Yeah. When there's the fire and everything. So how they shot that was apparently they dropped peanut shells from helicopters and then they got the actors to walk backwards and they ran the film backwards through the camera. Oh, <laughs> and then wow. When they played it at normal speed, it looked like locusts flying. That
1: was, I mean, it's a gorgeous scene. I haven't seen that movie in a long, long it's time. Striking. And, you know, well, well, there's a lot to talk about. We'll, we'll get yeah. into that. And, you <laughs> so know, much know Another about. film that I was going to pick for best scene, I'll get to, when we talk about that movie, I'll say what it is because when I was watching this movie again, I was like shaking my head And I'm like, man, this is an amazing scene. But (laughs) speaking of the new world, coming in a Fast Five, number four is... All the children of the king were beautiful, but she,
0: the youngest, was so exceedingly so that the son himself,
2: though he saw her, often was surprised whenever she came out into his presence. Ah, uh-huh, The, new, the world. new World.
1: Right, December 25th, 2005. One Oscar nomination for cinematography, Emmanuel Lubezki, surprise, surprise. <laughs> cost $30 million to make. Total box office worldwide was $30 million. Actually, it was thirty point five. million. And again, a movie that I really, really liked a lot when I saw it in the middle of the decade and then as it turned out it turned out to be one of the best movies of the decade
2: yeah and that's what many people say you know at first maybe they weren't sure about it now that they say it's one of the best films from the decade uh, Malik started working on the script in the 70s and it was greenlit in 2004 supposed to come out in November 2005 but he was still editing right down to the last minute and then I think it screened for critics in December 2005 and it was like a longer, yeah, much longer. longer version, yeah. 150 minutes I think and then they Paired it down to minutes. But this is an incredible film. I mean, both in terms of its look, the cinematography. This was his first collaboration with yeah. Emmanuel Lebeski and he's still working with him today. The musical score is beautiful. It is. The acting. I mean, Colin Farrell has never been better in my opinion. Koryanka um, Kilcher. She's so she beautiful and striking and she brought something really fresh to the role and she was a singer turned actress and then the authenticity—I mean, down to the location, the um, the you know use of Native Americans. But then beyond that, the use of ancient language that's all but extinct. But they recreated it for the movie, and then the actors had to improvise right after all that <laughs> improvise but being really authentic to the time.
1: It's a challenging film to make, it's a challenging film to watch and appreciate the first time you see it, but what I liked about this film too was you know when you're reading about American history and you're just reading it from textbooks, it sort of idolizes and idealizes the the uh, discovery of the new world and what i liked about the new world the the movie itself is the way it was gritty i mean they had a hard time and it's it's a tragedy you yeah. know the, lo- no, the loss of innocence not just for pocahontas yes. which she's never actually called pocahontas yeah. but it is pocahontas and john smith but the the loss of innocence on her scale but also the loss of innocence of native americans
2: yeah well i say it like um, you know mankind's um, mankind's impulse to tame things that yeah. are wild and should be left wild but we've got to tame it they've got to tame the new world and make it fit their lifestyle and then tame their Native Americans like Gwen not giving anything away but when put Brokehan just becomes more English in the way it's she tragic. dresses. Oh,
1: it's horrible! It's
2: not—it's not her, and she starts speaking in English, and it just doesn't feel right.
1: And when you see that she's wearing it's at the
2: start, she's so free. She's
1: so free. She's a one with the one with the land and, and the with the people, yeah. and she's wearing just this like skimpy little outfit just to cover what she needs to get covered. <laughs> and then you know when she becomes more English and she has to wear that suffocating <laughs> heavy, dress,
2: heavy outfit, and
1: she just looks so miserable. And then when she goes to London, and it's so overwhelming and so congested, and so it's so built up compared mm-hmm. to where she grew. I mean, it's just it's a tragedy. And I, I actually reviewed this back in two thousand five. I said the theme of Paradise Lost has always been prevalent in Malix films, but never more so than in the New World. When the natives first see the tall English ships sailing towards them, their wondrous reaction is undermined by an impending sense of dread when you consider their eventual fate. And when it comes to Malix movies, the performances take a backseat to the lush, mesmerizing canvas that he paints. Oh, yeah. The pacing may be slow, but it does set a mood that more patient moviegoers will be able to appreciate in turn. They will be rewarded with an unforgettable cinematic experience that will stay with them for days. Yeah,
2: nature is so beautiful. Again, man versus nature. And Dan Skip Allen has this to say about the new world. It's a sweeping epic about love and discovery. Malik takes viewers on a journey as we all discover this new world together. Newcomer, Kiryanka... I want to say it right. (laughs) Kiryanka, yeah, I said it right. Kiryanka Kilcher is a revelation as Pocahontas acting beside Colin Farrell's John Smith. The cinematography is breathtaking, as always, in a Malick film, and I haven't seen a historical film like this very often. It's a brilliant, beautiful movie. Christian Bale's great in it, too.
1: He is great in it. And, yes, thank you, Dan Skipow, for a brilliant, brilliant, beautiful review. Yeah,
2: that's nice. Uh,
1: But, you know, for a guy who makes seven movies... Over the course of forty-three years, yeah, uh, what's some with some interesting trivia that you have for our last detail?
2: I think one of the most interesting things about Terence Malick is the way he'll sometimes cut actors completely out of the edit once they've already filmed all their scenes Yeah, yeah. so Mickey Rourke was one who was cut from the Thin Red line mm-hmm. one person who was cut, not a frame exists of his performance in the final movie and he said it was a shame because it was some of the best work he's ever done. Also Bill Pullman and Lucas Haas was cut, were cut as well and then there's that history of it, Rachel Weisz was cut from To the Wonder I mean it must be disappointing for an actor and the same time, you know, when we spoke to a lot of the actors in *Knight of Cups*, they also made it exciting because they were like, "We didn't know if yeah. we would be in the film or not. We we're just doing our thing."
1: Adrian Brody, even though he was in the film,
2: yeah, he, he was lessened. upset.
1: Yeah, he was upset that that when he saw the final movie, and he saw how much had been used. Yeah. And, and I think
2: that was the same with Sean Penn with *Tree of Life*, because he had much more to say in the original script, and then they cut him down, so he's kind of just thinking and looking out and he's not really acting and like
1: you know you get to the end the very end of the th- thin red line and there's George Clooney yeah and then the
2: movie's over I oh no, he just has that cameo <laughs> yeah
1: it's, it's basically what it is um but I love that uh that Terrence Malick this enigmatic mysterious reclusive interesting fascinating director is a huge fan of Zoolander.
2: Oh, really? <laughs> he's
1: a big fan of Zoolander. That's not funny. You would not expect like a director like that to be a fan of a movie like Zoolander, That's but great. there you go.
2: That's so funny. Well, he thought that Terry thought that Martin Sheen was too old for the role in Badlands, and Sissy SpaceX spoke about about it. She said, I was cast first, I got to do scenes with every good looking actor in Hollywood. And then Terry said, We have to make this guy as a favor, but he's too old. That was Martin Sheen, but it was obvious immediately. From the moment we met him, it was Kit. He had the boots and everything.
1: Well, one last thing, one last thing regarding trivia about Terrence Malick isn't really about Terrence Malick. It's about Roger Ebert. Yeah, you know we read his reviews all the time here on Profiles. And To the Wonder was the last movie that Roger Ebert reviewed.
2: Oh, wow! And he was a big Terrence Malick fan, major,
1: major fan. In fact, when when I was going back and looking at the reviews for the movies we've been talking about, Mm -hmm. all the films that he wrote. Back in the day, instead of you know having the the perspective of going back and re, re- reviewing them, uh, he gave them like all four stars. Yeah, yeah, he was definitely a big, big, big supporter of Malik. and I wow. was like the movie like To the Wonder, which, you know, not definitely not his best film, nah. but just because of just the the uh, dreamy scope of the movie and the title To the Wonder, that was his last movie. I mm. thought that was kind of. Apropos. Poignant. Yes. Yeah,
2: very nice. All right, so now let's keep moving at number three in our Fast Five. It is... Don't tell me. How would
1: you know? I kind of your unhappy life, all that shit. I'm telling you, we got to do something about it. Can't expect anybody else to. Days of Heaven, released September 13th, 1978, cost $3 million. Total box office, just over $3 million. Won four, uh, four Academy Award nominations, including sound, costume design, and music for Ennio Morricone. Who just won yeah. his first Academy Award?
2: Finally, but
1: this was the first time he ever got nominated. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting, and it did win for cinematography, and it also won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival in 1979. Yeah, which means that Terrence Malick won the Palme d'Or twice. Twice,
2: pretty amazing, and um, yeah, the cinematography you mentioned, thats what really stands out to me about this film. I, a lot of it was shot at Magic Hour. It was all shot using natural light. and They based the cinematography on silent films and also on paintings. Wow. And apparently some of the crew didn't understand what was going on. They were like, what? We set up all these lights. You're not going to use them? But uh, <laughs> Malik knew exactly what he was doing. And this is just such a beautiful movie. People were waiting to see what he would do after Badlands, his second film, and, man, he really surprised everyone with this movie Yeah. because it is a feast for your senses. Beautiful It'll- cinematography, then the score, the tragic story it
1: is a, it is a sweeping tragic story juxtaposition
2: yeah, juxtaposed with the beautiful look of it the heavenly look
1: well the story itself for a lot of people who, who may not be familiar with the movie yeah. uh, co-stars Richard Gere Brooke Adams and Sam Shepard it's a love triangle and uh, Richard Gere's character is trying to convince Brooke Adams to the, their farmers yep. and she's try, he's trying to convince her to marry the farm owner who's yeah, and he's who's pretending wealthy. to be
2: her brother but they're actually together yeah,
1: yeah. so So so, yeah, so it's a sham Mm -hmm. because uh, he's uh, Sam Shepard's character is dying. Mm -hmm. So if she marries him, then she gets his fortune, and then they get their fortune. But the problem is, is that she really falls for him. Yeah, and it's like it really, it really hits you. Like you really feel the impact. Of this love triangle because to, you know Gira's is off to the side watching the two of them yeah. and he realizes and then
2: Sam Shepard's character oh. starts to suspect something. Oh, and it's, yeah, it's amazing. And uh, a lot of this came together in the edit, and they and I think he took three years to edit the That's film. That's correct. Apparently. Took three years. Um, added the narration later, which was all improvised by Linda Mance.
1: Linda Mance. There Almost a Relation. No no T in her name, but there is a T in mine. But I feel like Malek's flair for imagery really, really took shape with, with Days of Heaven. Yeah. I mean it was great in Badlands, his first movie, but this is really where when you think of a like, Malek movie, yeah, this is where it, it really, really came before.
2: Pushed the boundaries of, of what cinema could be. And this was one one of those movies again that made me realize oh, it can be art. Film can be art. Yeah,
1: totally. Moving art. And speaking of Eber, he said about Days of Heaven heaven this is a movie made by a man who knew how something felt and found a way to evoke it in us and daily variety that and even you know at the time said one of the great cinematic achievements of the 1970s
2: and joshua price who's watching live says the ironic tragedy of days of heaven is just painful uh, JTE said he has to go but he gave us a high five high five JTE. <laughs> and then everyone's trying to guess what will be our number one we are counting them down. And then we have a great comment from Zalk Milchu, mm-hmm. who says, Days of Heaven is my favourite Malik film and one of my top 20 films of all time. I consider it one of the last masterpieces of the American New Wave era. There is a subtle poetic sadness that complements some of the most gorgeous landscape cinematography ever set to film. The exclusive use of natural lighting, particularly during the magic hour after sundown, gives the movie a sense of both period realism and dreamlike beauty. There are countless unforgettable unforgettably classic images. For example, the train crossing the bridge, the shot of the wine glass from underwater, and, of course the locusts and the ensuing epic fire in the fields. Malik is a master of telling a story visually and his mastery was never better exemplified than in Days of Heaven. What a brilliant comment.
1: That is a brilliant comment. I, I did, for way Zap. to go. Zapp a nice job. And I, you know, I, I looked at his name. I'm like, I don't recognize this guy. This is great. I read his comment. I was like, wow! It's like a new profile. This is awesome.
2: Awesome. Well,
1: you know, we always like to do the others when we talk about films. That didn't quite make our Fast Five, but should have. Malik is not one of those filmmakers who have like, you know, a lot a whole movies. lot of
2: movies and we you know we both agreed maybe to the wonder is not the best right so, so we decided is, the other it's the other just night
1: of cups night of cups <laughs> so what did you love most what is *Knight of cups about
2: so Na- night of cups is about a screenwriter played by christian bale and he is struggling with a midlife crisis and he's wandering through hollywood uh figuring out his way amongst the excess and the womanizing that he does it's a collection of memories and a stream of consciousness movie, definitely very experimental. It has a loose structure in that it has eight chapters and each chapter has a different woman in his life or a different person from his past. But a lot of narration, a lot of dreamlike moments, all completely improvised. But I really... I can't stop thinking about this film. I Me really too. loved it. I related to it on such a strong level, I think, because it's about L.A. and starting over. And we were talking about that, how we both did that. Yep. And that's something that everyone really does. When they can't move to L.A., that's it's very like, true. <laughs> start over, anything's possible here. At the same time, it's a weird city where it's always sunny and it doesn't feel real.
1: Well, I was also trying to think of another movie where I saw L.A. like this, and I couldn't think of one. I mean, there have no. been other films about L.A., Lots, like yeah. Swingers and you know, L.A. Uh, story, The Player. But this was shot through a romantic haze. It yeah. doesn't it doesn't like, you know, make LA look bad, but it just sort of makes it look dreamy and for the dreamlike state of the film it's very, very fitting. Mm-hmm. So of course the reviews are mixed. Mm-hmm. Which is not uncommon for a new Malik film. Yeah. So the question is, what will it be like five years from now, ten years from now? But I'm with you. I really like this film a lot.
2: Yeah. And I, I, did, I wasn't sure if I would, to be honest.
1: I just, just in terms of like this guy taking stock in his life, uh, trying to reassess and re and reevaluate his priorities and his relationships with his father, played by Brian Dennehy, his mm. brother, played by Wes Bentley, and the women in his life, played by uh, Kate Blanchett and Natalie Portman. Yeah. And you know, it was a movie that definitely definitely stayed with you, with yeah, me, long after it was over. I to see it over. again.
2: I just keep going over and over it in my head and thinking about it. It's just so, so beautiful. Um, but we did a great bracket on our Profiles Facebook page. So thank you to everyone who took part and also everyone who ran it. So basically what they did was, <laughs> I love this, they did four of Malik's films put up against each other, but then the winner of that those four, Has to face Thin Red Line. And they already decided the Thin Red Line was great.
1: (laughs) Okay, that's cool.
2: (laughs) So it was Badlands versus The New World. Who do you think won out of those two? Uh,
1: Badlands. Yes. Okay.
2: Days of Heaven versus The Tree of Life.
1: Uh, Days of Heaven.
2: No, The Tree of Life. Oh, okay, good. So then it was Badlands versus The Tree of Life.
1: Badlands. Yep.
2: So then... It came down to
1: Badlands, Badlands versus, versus
2: the Thin Red Line. What do you think, Juan? Thin Red Line. Yes, the yes. Thin Red Line thin is red line. the profiler's favorite movie, and I can definitely see why. Thanks to Liam Legrand and every one of our profilers who gets involved, who runs it for us. I love our Facebook page, we and have, I love our people.
1: You know, speaking of our Facebook page, make sure you go to our Facebook page, which is Profiles with Malone and Mance. Yes. Like our Facebook page so we can keep you up to date on all the happenings on our show. And it's a great community that we build up of film geeks and profiles for life. <laughs> and so it's at Profiles with Malone and Mance. And while you're at it, go to iTunes. And even if you're listening or watching the show right now on YouTube or listening to it on iTunes, make sure you you rate and review our podcast on iTunes and review it and let us know what you think. And make sure you follow us on Twitter at Alicia Malone <laughs> at Movie Mance at Alicia Malone at Movie Mance. Alicia Whoa. Malone at Movie Mance. Yeah,
2: and if you want to look as cool as us and these Film Geek t-shirts, then you can go to tpublic.com slash user slash profiles and buy. We've got all sorts of t-shirts there. Funny enough, today I was in a restaurant and a guy came up to me and said, Are you Alicia Malone? And I was like, um, yeah, my a shirt with my name on it. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, and he gave me a cookie, which was nice. Oh, that so is was nice. A fan. Was sweet. Oh,
1: that's so I was like, sweet. Cookie,
2: yes. I you love never cookies. know who's watching. I know, so it's nice. Yeah. That's
1: very cool. What kind of cookie was it? Chocolate chip. Yes, chocolate chip. It's oh, perfect. you're like really, you're gonna like force me to take this I was chocolate like, chip uh, cookie?
2: You know the way to my heart.
1: Very nice. All right,
2: well, let's keep going, shall we, with our fast five number, number two, two, which is. My mother died of pneumonia when I was just a kid. My father had kept their wedding cake in the freezer for 10 whole years. After the funeral, he gave it to the yard man.
1: Badlands. I love Badlands. I know it's your personal favorite. It came out October Mm 15th, 1973, which means you were minus eight years old. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Terrence Malick's directorial debut and a dazzling debut at that. I guess the best way to pitch this movie is it's Rebel Without a Cause meets Bonnie and Clyde. (laughs) Yeah,
2: that's right. It was kind of loosely inspired by the true story of a young James Dean wannabe and the murder spree he and his younger girlfriend went on. And Malick started to work on this film during his second year as a student at the American Film Institute, then continued the screenplay when he was 27 while on a road trip. This is a completely independent movie. Malik put $25,000 of his own money into it, and then he raised the rest from doctors and dentists and professional people, then it was distributed by a bigger studio. But I love how independent it is. Um, As I said, my first film of Malik's my favourite, because I love how it's this mythic look at this couple, romance, crime, America, and I said the decade that I romanticise all the time, the 50s. I love 50s movies. I love um, any 50s fashion. I love watching films in the 50s because it's got that... Uh, I don't know. I think I, I go, it should be simpler times. Yeah, you know? this is, there's
1: an Innocence to the 50s. There's Innocence
2: to the 50s and this movie is about boredom and about freedom and the thing that I love the most is how deadpan her narration is as Sissy SpaceX character because it, it's perfectly detached from what she's actually doing. And
1: so is he. He is also detached yeah. and you're realizing that they are actually a match made in heaven <laughs> yeah. or hell depending on how you look at it. And, uh, you know, uh, Martin Sheen just uh, shoots first and asks questions. Actually, he doesn't ask questions at all. Uh, He just just shoots first. And he's, you know, they're going out in a blaze of glory. And uh, this is a film that definitely inspired natural born killers and inspired true romance, especially the music. They used a lot of the music. Yeah, the music. Yeah. For the music by George Tipton. And uh, (laughs) the New York Times loved Badlands and said it's a cool, sometimes brilliant, always ferociously American film, important and exciting.
2: Again, about Matt relationship to nature, the idyllic life in the treehouse, and then the wilderness and the desolate landscape of the badlands of Montana. And like I said before, I think because I used to escape into movies, I... Would relate to someone who looks at life like a little bit away, like it is a movie. Yeah. And I was just swept up by the beauty of this film and the storyline. And yeah, it sucked me in and, and I love watching it.
1: And when you do it's watch great. it, if you really want to know what Terrence Malick looks like, he has oh, yeah, a cameo he in this does. movie. Comes I up mean, door. And I thought, oh, okay, I get it. You know, maybe he's like going for like the Hitchcock thing where he shows up a little bit in each of his films. No, this was it. Yeah, um, this was
2: it. And Christian Bale actually talks about why in our interview.
1: Yes, which we're going to get to in a second as soon as we read uh, from one of our profilers. This one from Cindy N. G. about Badlands. Uh, With Badlands, Malik shows how films can transcend storylines with visual poetry. He is a genius in the art of using landscapes and imagery. And I just love how each shot of this, I just love each shot of this film. Add to that a serial killer and his teenage and passive girlfriend. Perfectly rendered by Sheen and Spacek, a haunting voiceover and an evocative score.
2: Now it is time to listen to... and. If you're watching on YouTube, our interview with Christian Bale, how nice was he? He couldn't have been nicer. He was so sweet. He was so cool. It was so funny because, you know, I was, you you know best that I used to be addicted to Red Bull and then I hadn't had one in a long time, months. And I was like, I might have one. And then as we walked in, he was like, enjoy a Red Bull. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Gotcha. And then the interview started, and as you'll hear, he asked us all sorts of questions about profiles, and I love how interested he was. And then it was so fascinating to hear him talk.
1: It was just a real great conversation. It wasn't an interview. It felt like a real genuine conversation. Yeah. couldn't have been nicer. And and he really does shed a light on work. I mean, he's now worked with them three times because the next movie that Malik has coming out, it's called Weightless. Christian Bale is in that as well. That doesn't have a release date. It could come out next year. It could come out in 10 years. <laughs> Who knows? Who Who knows? (laughs) But here is the conversation with Christian Bale. Okay, who are we uh, talking for? We're gonna gonna set this up for you. The name of the show is Profiles with Malone and Mance, and we (laughs) profile the greatest filmmakers of all time. And this show, we are profiling the work of the great Terrence Malick. Right. So thank you so much for joining us. (laughs) But, you know, if you're profiling just
0: the greatest filmmakers of all time, you must have, like, six shows and then you're done. No. <laughs> no, we
2: have so this many. Is, cause this we go is Forty nine films.
1: Oh, you're quite open-minded about who the and greatest classic. filmmakers are.
2: Yeah, <laughs> Kurosawa. Oh, uh, You've know.
1: you got Kurosawa. You, Did got you John
0: Williams, composers. Uh, okay. Oh, so started you're, started. oh, you're not
1: necessarily
0: interviewing them.
2: No, <laughs> no. All oh, right, we so are. you
0: might be interviewing you about and, and filmmakers past.
2: Yeah, we had a Hitchcock show right. and we had three Hitchcock oh, ones calling to talk to us so about Hitchcock.
1: Where can I see this?
2: YouTube. YouTube it's call. on the Popcorn Talk Network. Smash. But
1: I'm, we're going to make it easy for you. I'm going to send the link to the show to Jen and she'll forward it to you. <laughs> so, right? She's got this down and you got this down. But, you know, we profiled That's quite interesting. we yeah. profiled. seen on Curacao.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yes. Ready. Yep. And a lot of
1: people watching the that show. Takes who had never seen a Kurosawa movie, right. after hearing us talk about Kurosawa, they're like... They still haven't. And <laughs> so They rushed out. They rushed <laughs> out. Yeah. They're like, I never saw right. Seven Samurai, I never saw yeah. Rashomon until yeah. you guys were talking about right. it. So now oh, that God. we're talking about nailix movies, and you've now, including the next one, you've now done three.
2: And I, and I remember yeah. when I was a teenager, I saw Badlands, and I yeah, felt like my film, my head That's kind just, of exploded a bit. Yeah, it's so wonderful. So I'm curious... Space
0: setting, oh, machine, it's so great. great, great in it, you know? And and Terry's in it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Answering the door, that was (laughs) quite funny because the actor just didn't turn up that day. (laughs) But he told me that he couldn't stop giggling the whole way through because he realized suddenly when you're actually in the scene how much actors are just kind of heightening the reality. (laughs) So he said he couldn't stop laughing all the time uh, throughout.
2: So what was your first experience with Terence Malick's work and and what struck you the most about his style? Uh,
0: I went to see a double feature at some place that does kind of uh, cheap uh, the, the theatre in uh, L.A. Uh, and it was uh, Badlands and Days of Heaven and I had a similar experience to what you said, you know, with Badlands, just, just loving it. Um, and then um, I was down, um, I was very depressed about something that happened and my wife took me down to Chile to kind of just kind of backpack around. And I got, on the same day, I got these emails um, in its infancy, like I barely check emails now, but I got, and Terry doesn't use emails, but I got an email from Werner Herzog saying, hey, did I want to go make a film with him? And I was like, oh yeah, I love Werner. And then from Terry saying, would I just go, not to meet with him, but just to read something for him. You know, you often read scripts for a director and they have no intention of casting you ever in the... Uh, film but they just want to hear it out loud and so I said oh, I agree. So I, then I met up with um, Terry I had auditioned for the thin red line. I'm not, not oh, interested. Wow. I've gotten in it um, but I never met him and um, And then you know met with Terry sat and read and then uh, and then he, he he did he did actually you know Call back and say actually, you know, I think there's a role for you in the new world And I'd love to uh, you know have you play John Rolfe and so that's how it started and I just love his company Love was approach to, to uh, filmmaking and we kept in touch and then you know we ended up doing uh, Night of Cups.
1: You so know, cool. when it comes to a movie like The New World, I feel like it's a film that's been 11 years since it came out. It really grows on you and it, it takes on, it means new things every time you see it. But yeah. For you, like, what was it like working with him on that first movie, and what did you make of his? It's he sort of has an unconventional directing style.
0: Yeah, um, but I, I'm very comfortable with the way that he, he likes to work because initially um, I, I I was I, I started quite late on that film. And I would call, I knew some of the crew, and I would call them and say, so how's it going, what what are they doing? And they said, well, there's a lot of improvisation. And I'm thinking, oh God, this is the 1600s. So I was in London, and I headed down to the British Library and I was just going through everything I could because I thought, I've got to have all the language down. I've got to know the exact history. I've got to know everything. And I was, I was thinking, oh my God, this is gonna be a massive volume of uh, 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 information I've got to remember. Um, and then found, Oh, not, not in the slightest, when you get there, you know, Terry's all about, you know, just sincerity. At that point, he did have a script for The New World, but most of the time would just sort of throw it out. But, um, uh, you know, yeah, yes, he wanted a lot of improvisation, but understood that an awful lot of it wouldn't be useful. I mean, for, for instance, I remember I made the mistake of having John Rolfe actually um, uh, discover the concept of gravity before Newton did, um, <laughs> because there was a scene and Terry told me to improvise and I explained gravity and he said, that was great, but Newton hadn't actually done that yet. So, you know, <laughs> we just kind of changed history there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's, he's so, he. Well, the, the thing that, that, that's very different from Terry is there's a lot of directors and they want to rehearse beforehand. Then look, there's benefits to both. You know, I'm not saying one is better than the other, it's just different and Terry's on his journey. Um, but uh, for Terry, rehearsing kind of kills it. So he wants you to, he's, he's filming, the motto's kind of film before we're ready. And like he says, you're ready? No, great, go, go. Um, because he likes to have that spontaneity of trying to figure it out as you go, um, not having a goal at the end of each scene, so you're not sort of having that sense of achievement at the end, where it, so it's more kind of, let's see what happens. Um, I would often, uh, I I like to fall asleep on set, it's just something I sort of enjoy doing, (laughs) and so he would sometimes just film me asleep or then just wake me up and say, hey, go into that other room and start talking with so-and-so, and And I would walk in kind of bleary-eyed, not really knowing, and just start talking with them. and, And you see what happens, or he would come to me and he'd recognize that, okay, this scene, we were starting to repeat ourselves. Um, You know, literally in that you could see the actor was starting to find his groove in the scene, which most directors go, great, 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 now we're starting to find it, now we got something. And Terry's the opposite. He goes, all right, now it's ruined because now you sort of are trying to, Get it right, and right. we should never have that sense. So he would just say to me, "Well, where do you want to go shoot this?" And I would go, "You know what? Well, I think that I would go walk under that tree and film." So we go do that. And he's so he's so collaborative and really loves new ideas. He loves working with people. He has incredibly experienced people working with him. You know, Chiba being one of his yeah. you know main oh, collaborators, yeah. know. Jack Fisk <laughs> as well. You know, um, but he also really likes to have. Um, absolute beginners as well, and have that kind of sense of discovery and people who don't have any technique. I think he's kind of anti-technique. Um, so it's lovely, it's, it's, it was a great experience. And then with Night of Cups, we just took it a step further where he yeah. went, you know what, we kept on throwing the script out in the New World, how about we just don't even have a script <laughs> so for this you one? So did know
2: how it would end up looking at all?
0: No, not at all, you know I mean? He would sometimes give me a GoPro and just send me off really? with, a, with the other actors and we'd go shoot a scene by ourselves about whatever. Uh or go in the ocean and shoot something and I'd just bring back the GoPro, he'd have a look and it was either, Christian, there's nothing we can use here or, oh, that's a lovely moment, there you got. And, uh, um, you know, you never knew who he was filming, you know, even if it might be, I've, I've got, I never have much to say in of Cups, most of the time <laughs> he wanted me to be quiet and, yeah, and listen. He's, like he's a man of words who's kind of lost the ability to use words. Yeah, I like that. Um, and uh, and so every day was a complete surprise. You know, I went in, you know, you got to just be comfortable with going and going, I have no idea what, what, what I'm going to be doing today.
1: A lot of our viewers and listeners are a little younger and they might not know, Terrence Malick's movies, and that whole purpose is, is for us to introduce them. So, ha- what kind of advice would you give to viewers and listeners to sort of bring them into Terrence Malick's world?
0: Um, just be a bit bold. Don't go for the normal stuff that you know that is is playing at your local cineplex. Like, be a bit, be a bit more adventurous. You know, go and see what, what, what other. Um, uh, emotions and experiences film can bring um, to you because Terry approaches it in a very different manner so yeah. you know be adventurous be bold it's it's so worth it. you've got one of the as you guys were saying one of the absolute best American filmmakers of all time yeah yeah mm. thank you so much right,
2: thanks thanks so, you. so much for so interesting it. That was great. That
1: was cool that gets a high five. Woo! We haven't one of those in a while. I know, yeah. Very, very good. It's just a conversation, you know? It was know? Great. And it was, we were his first interview that day. Yeah. Which was very, very cool. It was very relaxed, very natural. Very cool. You know, no one asked him any stupid questions
2: <laughs> yet.
1: <Yeah. laughs> I'm sure that came later. But yes, that was definitely a, a, a very, very special moment for us yeah. on our show and your show. So was that nice. was very cool. Yes. Very, but very cool. Moving right along. And see that of Cups, folks, it's actually very, very good, but just... Give, it, give yourself over to it. Let it yourself get consumed by it, and you will get something back.
2: As we say in Australia, give it a red hot go.
1: Give it a red hot go. <laughs>
2: <laughs> now we get to our Fast Five number one, which, which has to be... General,
1: I refuse to take my men up there in a funnel attack. suicide, sir. I've lived with these men, sir, for two and a half years,
2: and I will not order them all to their deaths.
1: The Thin Red Line, and that's the scene, by the way, uh, released December 25th, 1998. Seven Oscar nominations, including picture, director, adapted screenplay, and score for Hans Zimmer. Based on the novel by James Jones, this is the quintessential Terrence Malick movie, isn't it? And it
2: lost Best Picture, too
1: to Shakespeare, Shakespeare in, love. <laughs> in love. But you know what? At least Saving Private Ryan is actually in good company.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, Thin Red Line, I think, like we were saying before, is a film that I definitely get more and more out of every time I see it. It's an epic war film, as only Malick could make. I mean, deeply philosophical, not at all what most people expected, and by most people I mean the cast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely they didn't really know exactly how it would turn out. They didn't know that their roles maybe lessened a little bit in favor of nature. Because again, it's about man versus nature. But it's also, I think, you know, someone who's luckily enough never had to be involved in a war. It's also what I imagine war must be like completely um, disorientating and dreamlike at times and a lot of waiting, a lot of boredom Well, uh, and then the... Gritty, horribleness of being stuck in there, but the beautiful landscape.
1: The brilliance of this movie is the way it shows the brutality of war juxtaposed with the beauty of nature, mm. often in the same frame. Yeah. You know, I remember there was one scene, one of the soldiers by one of the actors. You know, not someone well known. You know, he's sitting there ducking, and he's just like looking at a, a at a leaf and just looking at the beauty yeah. of it, while all around him, all hell is breaking loose. And you know, like there could be all this gunfire and explosions going on, but yet they're at and a tree just minding their business and it's just a a perfect blend of two extremes.
2: Incredible cast. So at this stage everyone knew who Terrence Malick was. All actors were lining up to be involved in his movies. They'd do whatever. Big uh, part small part. So let me just run through some of the names: Sean Penn, Adrian Brody, Jim Caviezel, Ben Chaplin, George Clooney, John Cusack, Woody Harrelson, Nick Nolte, John C. Riley, John Travolta.
1: John Travolta. That was like what? What's he doing? In this <laughs> I forgot movie?
2: he was in it. I was like, is that John. Ju- it is.
1: But well, when we were talking about our right stuff, the scene that I was actually going to go with was the scene between Elias Coadyus, who plays the captain, right. and Nick Nolte, and he's on the phone, yeah. and Elias is saying, "You know, we're we're outnumbered. I'm not going to send my men." up there and Nick Nolte is screaming his head off telling him get your men up there and this is a war and he's like it is the exchange between them mm-hmm. is so like riveting and so powerful and I gotta tell you this is like, like the best thing I've ever seen Nick Nolte do
2: he was so great he so great has such movie. power and also the scene with Woody Harrelson
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, that was <laughs> the look
2: in his eye when he like, realizes like, oh, like, oh, oh my boy. gosh. Yes. I mean, you need patience with this movie, but it's definitely worth watching. This was a film that, you know, came out uh, 20 years after his last movie. So no one really knew whether he would come back Still with another movie. Yeah. He was reclusive. But in those 20 years, he read a lot of books. He traveled. He listened to music. He did some bird watching. And then he came back with a bang.
1: Yeah. And, he, and a lot of people thought, oh, he was just like, you know, like checked out, but he was actually developing a bunch of things yeah. you know there was a at one point he was going to direct the elephant man yeah which would have been interesting with very knowing his interesting, style yeah. but uh, there were other films that he had been working on including what became the tree of life
2: yeah and he he did a lot of script writing as well which yep. is why night of cups sort of feels very much like it's based on his life
1: well, it, it uh, Gene Siskel said it's one of the finest contemporary war films I've ever seen, better than Saving Private Ryan and even a platoon. And Mike Sullivan, Mike O'Sullivan from the Washington Post kind of summed it up perfectly. He said a movie about creation growing out of destruction, about love where you least expect to find it, about angels, especially the fallen kind who just so happen to be men. And wow. like I said, watching the film again last weekend, I, I was like a, an emotional wreck after it was over really got to me more than more than any other time I saw it.
2: Oh yeah, it's terrifying to watch and beautiful at the same time. Mark Todai says, The Thin Red Line is a film about juxtaposition and does not hold anything back when showing death among life, war among beauty, and the eradication of one's soul among the search for humanity. It took Malick nearly 20 years to make this film, and while multiple viewings are needed to distinguish between the many characters, it'll be more than worth your time. Unlike its rival Saving Private Ryan, The Beachland are uneventful and the action doesn't take place until 20 minutes into the film. However, between the rhythmic Melanesian music that plays throughout and the deeply emotional performance from the highly talented cast makes The Thin Red Line one of the best and most underrated war movies ever made. And
1: we give the last word to our pal Liam Logrand. Liam says, "The Thin Red Line is my personal favorite film of the 1990s. Considering it boasts an incredible ensemble cast, there's really there really isn't a protagonist" Rather, Malik shows the physical and psychological horrors of the Pacific theater had on all American and Japanese soldiers. This is done through compelling and poetic narration from countless soldiers, and that transports audiences to a time of history that is undeniably confronting. All of which is a complete juxtaposition with the luscious and beautiful Henderson Field, which itself is a pivotal character throughout the film. That's a great point. On reflection, I believe the Thin Red Line is far superior than Saving Private Ryan and should have Swept the Oscars in nineteen ninety nine. Hashtag #ProfileForLife Geek. Hashtag profile, <laughs> profile for life. life.
2: So to recap our Fast Five for Terrence Malick at number five, The Tree of Life.
1: Number four, The New World. Number
2: three, Days of Heaven.
1: Number two, Badlands. Number and one, one, The Thin, thin Red line. line. We
2: close our books. Pow!
1: And one <laughs> last thing before we go, make sure you go to our Facebook page, Profiles with Melona Mance. Like our fa- page and make sure you share it. Make sure you tell other film fans to love it too. Make sure you rate and review us on iTunes. It's just called Profiles there. And make sure you follow us on Twitter, Alicia. Malone <laughs> at Movie Mance at Alicia Malone at Movie Mance see Terrence Mail would take a long pause too <laughs> at Alicia Malone at Movie Mance we should Mance. have done some narration yeah, and some dreamlike some, imagery some, oh it's so the cold weeks in the weight. hand through here. the Yes, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's cold, the air conditioning it's getting to me but we'll be back in a few weeks with episode number 50 wow. number 50 of Profiles until next time bye, bye.